morning. Happy Sabbath. We're here today, a little bit different to normal. How awesome was it that all the high school kids got up and did the band, did the music and all that? Give them a round of applause. Fantastic. Fantastic. It makes, you know those shiver moments that you get down your neck? It's sort of like that when, you, when you're sitting in the audience and, and the guys that you've been working with all year come up and perform, do something like that. Brilliant. Love it. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much for everything you did for us to lead us to worship today. Um, we are slightly different today, and that's because North Pine Drama Crew are doing a thing tonight. Um, importance of being earnest. I've got no idea what that means. But um, anyway, it's going to be great. We've been watching them practice, and they've got props and everything behind here. We just closed it up so we didn't ruin their surprise. But um, it's going to be fantastic. I think tonight's show is at 7.30. And tomorrow's one is at 6, 6.30, sorry, 6.30. And um, you can still get tickets online. Online and at the door. And 10 bucks, 5 bucks, 10 bucks? 10 bucks adults, 5 bucks for kids. It's going to be great. The kids have been practicing and it'll go off. Before we get going this morning, let's just have a word of prayer. Father God, we're just pausing this morning before we open your word. And um, Lord, I pray that um, my words are your words and that... I can communicate to these guys what, what you want me to. In your name, amen. As Clayton suggested today, we're starting our new series, Experiencing God. And this one I've been looking forward to because every experience that God is in has been an exciting experience in my life. And so I thought, Beauty, how can I start this off? And I thought, I'm going to use the lyrics of a song. All right, here we go. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to talk it. Um, I looked out this morning and the sun was gone, turned on some music to start my day. I lost myself in a familiar song, I closed my eyes and I slipped away. It's more than a feeling when I hear that old song they used to play. More than a feeling, I begin dreaming, more than a feeling. Till I see Mary Ann walk away, till I see Mary Ann walk away. Some of you high school kids would have no idea what song that is. Am I right? It's by a band called Boston. And I was introduced to this song by the TV show Scrubs. There's a bit of a murmur through the high school. They sort of know what that is. It, it, was, a, it was a comic sort of skit show type thing that was based in a hospital. And all these um, people learning to be doctors and... and inductees, I guess, into the doctorship. I don't know what that means. But they were there, and it was about their lives. And this particular episode, they decided they're going to start an air band. And they thought, well, what song are we going to do? And they just spent the whole episode working out what song they were going to do. And it's intertwined with all the people they come in to meet. And they finally decide that this more than a feeling song would be the song, and that's how the song, uh, the show ends. And it's a touching conclusion to the song because in the end they realise that it's the people that they connect with and it's more than just a feeling, it's a relationship. So that's kind of where we're heading today. Another TV show that I enjoy watching is Airplane Crash Investigators. It's very interesting, the different, the different times, the different ways that people sort of, you know, they find that black box thing that isn't black, it's orange or something. And 
Why call it a, anyway? But airplane crash investigators, and the story was told of a jumbo jet flying somewhere. He, the pilot and the co-pilot were the only ones on the plane or something similar. And they were flying along and they got into a cloud. And as they were flying along, the guy felt as if the plane was tilting. And he's looking at the instruments. The instruments are saying that it's all fine. It's all good. But the plane, he felt, was still banking. And so he righted it and ended up crashing into a mountain. And there's stories, particularly in aviation, of things like this happening. And they found the black box and that's how they knew all this was happening. And so I want to share with you, I love anything that goes fast, all right? So uh, Brad, can we get that first photo up, please? Here we have an F-15. Now I've told the story of the SR-71 Blackbird. It's a phenomenal plane. This thing is like a, I don't know, Ford Falcon and then the SR-71 would be like your Lamborghini Bugatti type thing, all right? So this thing's the the, um, I don't know, the guts of the air assault system that countries have. So we have the F-15 Eagle. This thing can fly 2,655 kilometres per hour. It's quite quick. So mark 2.5 something. Is that right, Daryl? Ish, that'll do. I'm happy with that. I'm happy with an ish. A seven, just to put it in a bit of context, a 737 travels 780 kilometres per hour. So if you jumped on a 737, went to Newcastle, it'll take you about an hour-ish, give or take, depending on weather conditions. This thing will do it in 29.6 minutes or something. Crazy. Crazy. Love it. I just want to get in one, but I'll, I'll never get that opportunity. There's a, there's a pilot of one of these things, and we'll flick to the next picture. There's a pilot of one of these things that um, that's what you look at when you sit in the cockpit. Good luck. <laughs> but at the pilot of one of these things, he was doing a bit of reconnaissance and he was flying over the airspace in Iran, I think. And he was flying along and a similar sort of thing happened. There's, there's a bit of twilight zone where these things blend into the sky and that's when he was doing his reconnaissance. And he was flying along and he got to a part that was like canyons and he's skipping through the canyon. And his instruments are telling him you need to pull up. But for all he thought, he had to pull down. He thought he was skying or shooting straight up. But the instruments are telling him something opposite. And he eventually had the battle in his head going, what do I do? He eventually pulled up and lived. They then did another flight through the area and worked out where he was and everything, if he had been three seconds later in pulling up, he would have gone into the side of a cliff. The difference between the two stories is this bloke trusted his instruments. He didn't trust his feeling. His feeling was directly opposite to what the instruments were saying. And he lived. The Bible is full of descriptions of God. And this five-week series that we're doing, Neil's going to, I think Neil's doing next week, I hope so. Anyway, <laughs> Neil's going to touch on this a bit more and then we'll keep swapping as we do. But the Bible is full of descriptions of God's character. 
And these descriptions of God's character come from different experiences people have with him. And so we're going to start looking today about his name. Particularly in the Old Testament, we're going to start looking at God's name and the way that a name used to describe who you were. You have people like Abraham. You have people like Isaac. You have people like Jacob, who that's their names, but they have constant different meanings all the way through. That's the way that the Hebrews worked. And the thing with the Bible is we can read this over and over and over and memorize it and get it locked in, but it doesn't sit with us until you fully experience it. In the New Testament, the Bible's written in a lot of Greek. That's just how it worked. And, and in the Greek, there is a word, no. But the word no in the Greek is more of an academic process. It's, it's an understanding of a concept. It's a school concept. To know something, you know it. I like the Hebrew version of no. The Hebrew version of no is to fully understand something through experience. To fully understand something through experience. Think about that. Let that marinate for a second. Let's see if the video clip will work. Thanks, Brad. I'm Bear Grylls, and for years you've watched me survive some of the harshest and most remote places on the planet. Keeping myself alive has been hard enough. But now, I've got to look after these guys. Pull that ripcord! Okay! Alright? Where's the ripcord? Each week, I'll be taking a different celebrity on a two-day adventure into a remote part of the world. <laughs> Never easy, is it? Not with you. Tonight, megastar Channing Tatum plunges into the wild. This is pretty crazy. Channing's rise to stardom has been unprecedented. His movies have grossed right, more than two and a half billion dollars, and he's just getting stuck. Bear grills. Oh, he annoys me. But it's brilliant. I love it. You know, it's it's that 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 bit in between where he annoys you this much but you love what he's doing because it's absolutely ridiculous. And here we have Bear Grylls um, taking all these stars into the bush, experiencing the bush for them. Well, it's not bush over there. They call it something totally different, but I'm going to call it bush because we're in Australia. And he takes them out there and they experience this thing for themselves. And the episode... Channing Tatum and all that kind of stuff. I watched that the other night and I thought this illustrates the fact beautifully that Channing, he does a lot of these cool things on movie sets, right? You'd think he'd be used to it, but he doesn't fully experience it for what it is until he goes out with Bear Grylls and he tells you this in an interview. He, he doesn't fully experience what's going on because of all the safety stuff and they, they're in Yosemite National Park. And in Yosemite National Park, there's a whole heap of these 
things called domes. You've got Half Dome, you've got uh, El Capitan, you've got a few other ones. And they decided to scale one of them. And they're up the top and they spend the night on top. And then the next day, um, they're doing the whole abseiling thing down. And I find it amusing because halfway down they run out of rope and then all of a sudden someone throws them a new rope. <laughs> you know, we've just run out of rope. Oh, where'd that come from? <laughs> and about, uh, they had about a quarter to go down and it's a straight down face. And um, Bear Grylls does all the dramatic stuff and then clips on and goes down forwards. And then he goes, Channing, you've got to follow me and do exactly as I do. Gives him a minute crash course on how to run down this thing forwards and then Bear Grylls just disappears. Uh, it's probably dramatised a little bit, but I'd like to think it's real. <laughs> and, and Channing's standing there and you can see him just going, what? What have I gotten myself into? And he's freaking out as he's going down this hill and he's going as slow as anything and then he sees the bottom and then he runs as fast as he can. And he said at the bottom, Bear Grylls asked him, oh, have you ever done that before? And um, Channing says, oh, I've done it once down a building in a movie but we had big blow-up mattresses and everything down below you. And, and we had four different harnesses and then they had a blue, blue screen harness as well so there was no way anything could happen. And here he was, hanging on a bit of nylon rope down the edge of a cliff. He didn't know what was going on until he fully experienced it for himself. Um, I'm going to tell you a story about when, when I was in Pathfinders and we climbed a cliff just like half... No, I'm kidding. We, we did some pretty cool stuff in Pathfinders and it was when the counsellors weren't looking or the adults weren't looking that we got up to the best things that we, got up, that we could get up to. And um, this one particular night, we're down at Mount Cotton um, Scout Camp, uh, Kringle Scout Camp, and we're down there and the boys decided we've got to build a fire. We've got to stay warm. It's in the, you know, it's the middle of summer, but we've got to stay warm. And um, so we thought, right, we're going to start this morning. It was a long weekend, so we started Sunday morning and we started collecting firewoods. And everyone starts with the little twigs and stuff and then bring it in, but it always turns into a competition. Who can bring the biggest log? And so here you have 15 teenage boys running out in the bush and then coming, oh, oh. And it doesn't matter that it's hollow. It, the size was all that mattered, you know. So you put it on for the boys oh, and put it on the fire and then just sort of, yeah, I'm all good. I'm all good. Anyway, my mate, Luke, who's he's a bright fella, but not in this instance. My mate, Luke, decided to grab a massive pile of bamboo. And so he, he, it looked impressive, I must admit. He had a whole heap of bamboo on his arms, stacked up like this high, and it was like, I don't know, you're probably looking two, three metres long. And he's walking along like this with his bamboo, puts it on the pile, and he thought, yeah, I've done a good job. So we had a pile, and it was about this high. And um, we decided to build a fire, and we built it in true fire-building style. You just throw it on put a bit of paper around it, kind of, liquid paper, and um, we lit it, off it goes. So we got all these bits of wood hanging out, the bamboo's in there as well, and it's going well. We're like, yeah, look at that, good one. 
That's a keeper. And um, we thought, righto, we've lit it. The excitement's over. Let's go. And so we just left it. And we're, we went back to our campsite. And then we thought, oh, it should be, should be burnt down a bit now. So we went and checked it. And we decided we're going to cook on the fire tonight because that's what manly people do. So we cooked on the fire, put the beans on, put the potatoes on, a um, bit of pumpkin, a bit of what we thought was damper. It was more like glue. And it happened. We're all sitting nicely around the fire on our camp chairs. And then all of a sudden, bang! And we thought, did you throw something in? Did you throw something in? We're all going, no, 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 it wasn't us. Turns out that if the bamboo is still got its moisture in it, that the little pods that are in bamboo, because bamboo's in sections, the little pods are still sealed. And what happens is when you get hot air inside something, it expands, and therefore you have this bamboo thing that going everywhere. And we since found out that when bamboo goes it splinters. And so we had shrapnel flying all around us, and now the new game started. The new game started because you've got to stand as close as you can to the fire, and as these things are going we're, you know, sort of getting splinters. Whoever can stand the most splinters is the most manliest ever. <laughs> and so we look like porcupines going back up to the... Oh, oh. We've never forgotten that. And whenever any of us meet up together, we still talk about it. It's one of the first things we go, oh, how's he going? And all this, oh, plus we've got all scars from different things. But... It's something that we all remember because we experienced it. We all share the same experience and we always remember it. We're going to look at the story of Abraham and Isaac and it's on the screen, but I'm just sort of going to... No, we'll read it. All right, I thought I was short on time, but we're all good. Genesis 22, 1 to 18, for those of you that have your Bibles, if it's on your phone, flick your phone on, all that kind of stuff, but just make sure it's on silent for us. But if not, it's on the screen. Here we go. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, this is Abraham, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. Let me pause for a second there. Here we have Abraham, the, the father of Israel, the one who the line is supposed to continue and be multitudes as vast as the stars in the sky, as big or as many as the sand at the ocean. And here we have God telling him to take his only son up on a mountain and sacrifice him. Sacrificing. And Abraham responds, as you would. And he says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and, he said, uh, and his son Isaac. It's a bit odd to start with, isn't it? It's a bit odd, because when you read that, initially you think, oh, Abraham's going to burr up here. Abraham's going to have it out with God, because he's saying, take your only son and offer him as a sacrifice for me. 
Now, I don't have kids, but I can understand what it's like to have someone tell you something like that. You, you're going to do everything to stop it. But here we have Abraham, and his reaction is, I'm going to do it. God said it. I'm going to do it. Um, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over, to, over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, and took, his hand, the, um, took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. It's an interesting little parallel here with the story of the passion, Jesus' sacrifice. We have Jesus carrying his own cross to sacrifice. And here we have Isaac carrying his own wood to be sacrificed. It's a very interesting parallel. Let's keep going. Um, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on... I think I might have skipped a few, but that's all right. Laid it on Isaac. No, I haven't. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father... And he said, here am I, my, here am I, my son. Behold. I love that word. You just got to pause after it. You just got to have a moment. Behold. The fire and the wood. The fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said. These would have been one of the hardest sentences to get out, I reckon. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And they both went together. When they came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood on in order, uh, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy. And the story goes on that there was a ram caught in a thicket and they used the ram for the offering and Isaac was saved. You'd hope that Abraham had a steady hand. He's about to plunge it into, into his son and someone stops him. You want to hope that he can pull it up in time. From that moment on, we use a different name for God. From that moment on, a different name is used in the old translations of the Bible. In the different name, let me just make sure I get this one right, is Jehovah Jireh. I'm probably not saying it right, but Jehovah Jireh. And it means the Lord will provide. So here we're, start, we're talking about experiences, and Abraham experienced God as a provider. And there are countless stories that we hear from people going, oh, I'm going to give God this much, I'm going to give this much. And God provides in tenfold back. We've got the story of Job that God provided heaps. It was taken away, but then God doubled it when it came back. We have all these different experiences in the Bible where God provides for his people. This next story is from the book of Exodus. And it's Moses. And Moses is an interesting character throughout the Bible. But this particular instance, it's not Moses who are leading, is leading the Israelites into battle. It's his next in command, Joshua. Moses is up on the hill 
And I don't have this one on the screen, so I'll just quickly tell you what it is. Moses is up on the hill watching what's going on. And the Israelites are in battle with someone. And the Israelites are losing. And a man of God, what does a man of God do when the Israelites started losing? He lifts up his hands. Lifts up his hands and starts praying to God. God, you've got to do something about this. Your people are losing their battle and we need you to help us out. And so you can picture Moses, the wind's blowing and his little cloaky things like this and his staff's there, on the, he's thrown it down and he's just thrown up his hands and just said, Lord, help us. And this is why I know God has a sense of humour. Because when he was like this in prayer with God, Israelites started winning. Israelites started winning. When he got tired and put his arms down, they started losing. And God's like, well, don't stop there. And he puts his hands up. They started winning. So here he was, praying as hard as he can to God that the Israelites would win the battle in his name. And a lot of, a lot of theologians use this as an example of the Israelites using God as a banner to go into battle with. Back in those days, if, if your country had a king, they would often ride into battle with their, I'm guessing it's like a coat of arms type thing on a banner above them. And by seeing that coat of arms, the opposition would know how powerful you are, would know how much land you've got, would know how many cows and sheep and all that kind of bizzo. They would know who you were and how powerful you are. And from that moment on, Moses, every time he held his hands up, was like a banner saying, we've got God Almighty, and pointing up, we've got God Almighty on our side. We're going to win. This is how powerful we are. And so from that moment, we have Moses experiencing God as their defender. From that moment, we have Moses experiencing God as their defender. And the story continues throughout Israelites' long part of the Bible. And you've got Joshua doing amazing things because God was with him. You've got um, a whole heap of other people doing amazing things because God is with them. And we've did a, we did a sermon on this in a couple series back. God is with them. He's their defender. He's their defender. This one is on the screen, so we'll get that Exodus 3 one up, please, Brad. And um, this is another story about Moses, but we're going to the start of Moses' leadership. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and it came to Horeb the mountain of God. Now, obviously, Moses is trying to do the good thing by the father-in-law, impress him and all that kind of stuff. So he's looking after the sheep. It's a fair, a fair profession. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a burning bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Wow. Wow. When I was um, last year, when I was doing a chapel for the uh, primary school, um, I used this story. And as an illustration, I, I got a bit of paper and I soaked it in um, hand sanitizer, alcohol and hand sanitizer, added a little bit of water. 
And if you get a lighter and light it, it doesn't burn because of the water and the alcohol that burns all that first. And if you get it out quick enough, it doesn't look like it's burnt. And the kids were amazed. It was brilliant. But here, here we have a bush that is burning, but it's not burning. And it's talking to Moses. Now, I don't know about you, but you'd feel like you've been sitting in the sun too long. All you've got for company is sheep. You'd think you're going a bit crazy. But here we have a burning bush that is about to voice instructions to Moses. Let's keep going. And Moses said, I will um, I'll turn aside to see these, this great sight, why the bush is not burned. So he thought, wow, that's amazing. I'm going to have a closer look. He's a bloke. That's what we do. That's cool. I'm going to go see how it works, that type of stuff. So off he went. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called, out, um, called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. We're starting to get a sort of theme happening with the answering to God stuff and answering to people. They answered with, here am I, or here I am. Um, then he said, do not come near, take off your sandals, because the place on which you stand is holy ground. The simple presence of God has turned the simple desert into holy ground. And he said, I am, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to do, to do a good and broad land, uh, to a good and broad land, in a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites and the Amorites. The Pe- yep, next one. You can read them. And now behold, a cry, the cry of the um, people of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. So we're getting a pretty bleak picture of what's happening to Israel. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring up my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Interesting response. Interesting response because at the very start of the communication with God, we have Moses saying, here am I. And now we've got him, who am I? Who am I to go and tell a king, the most powerful king on the planet, who am I to go and tell him, let all those slaves go, stop them from building your pyramids, stop them from serving you, let them go free. Who am I? I'm just a humble um, sheep herder. I'm working for my father-in-law because of my history. I couldn't get a job elsewhere. I'm working for my father-in-law. And you're telling me to go and approach the man that is most powerful in all the world. Other descriptions say that Moses even had a speaking disorder. He would stutter. He, he wasn't a public speaker, and I think that comes up in a second. And it's pretty much saying, I'm not qualified. 
I'm not qualified. There's a classic quote, and I'm pretty sure it's Max Lucado. Don't quote me on that. But there's a classic quote that says, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He qualifies the called. That's what he's talking about here. Let's keep going. Um, He said, but I'll be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, and this is one of the weirdest sentences in the whole of the Bible. Then God said to Moses, I am who I am. Right. That makes sense. And he said, say, to, say this to the people of Israel, I, I am has sent me to you. Okay, no worries. I'm going to rock up to Pharaoh and the Israelites and say, I am who I am has sent me to you to tell. It just doesn't make sense. But on the other hand, it makes complete sense. What God is saying here is, I am the eternal one. I am the one that... that started out way back when, before the world was in existence. I spoke creation into existence. I've done all these things along the way, and I am eternal. Nothing can stop me. And then you have, that's the Almighty God. But then you have this section of God, which I want you to focus on this morning. This section of God is simply, I am what you need me to be. I am whatever you need me to be. If if you're having if you're having issues with with stuff and you need stuff provided, I am the provider. If you if you're in battle and and you're having issues there, I am your defender. I am who I am, and it still applies to us today. I am whatever you need in your life at that time, I am that thing. I just want to be involved in your life. At all, I want to experience you to experience me, being the things that you need. And from that sentence, from the "I am who I am," the sentence goes that Moses coined the phrase. Yahweh or Yahweh. Yahweh, the great I am, the great provider, the great protector, the great defender, the the ever constant help in time of need. Through the biblical stories we've gone through this morning, we find the description of God and who he is through the names that he has been given. But the other thing we find is the, the, two, the second part of the hand-in-hand process that happens. And that is, we looked at Abraham. Abraham received the instruction of take your son and be sacrificed. What did Abraham do? He took his son to be sacrificed. We have the second story where Moses is lifting up his hands to God and asking for help. 
As soon as he stopped doing that, it all fell apart. As soon as he started focusing back on God, we have a change in what's happening down in the battle. But most of all, we have Moses approaching God. We have Moses focusing on God. It's an action. And last, we have Moses who did what God commanded him to do. He went to the Pharaoh. He went to Israel. And he got him out eventually. Pharaoh was pretty stubborn, but he did it. We have action happening with the experience. Now, the last four weeks, we've done a series, we've completed a series called Dare You to Move. Dare You to Move. If you missed it, check it out on soundcloud.com forward slash refresh church, or if you don't want to do that, sign in on iTunes and they're all there. Have a listen. Because these two, there's a reason why we put these series together. And the reason is we've just dared you to do something about it. And now we're going, well, we're daring you to do something about it, but you need to experience something. You need to do something to experience something. You get what I mean? If you're just sitting in, in a chair, lounge chair, and you're flicking on the TV and watching the cricket, motor racing, um, football, anything, fishing. I don't know why you'd watch fishing, but that's another topic. Um, you're, <laughs> you're watching fishing. And are you really experiencing what's going on? No. Nah, you're not. You're getting a picture of what's going on. You're not experiencing it. You're knowing. You're not knowing And my challenge for you today is to step out, have a crack, dare you to move and experience something because the more that you put in, the more you experience it. Yeah, we know God. We know him. We we come to to church on Saturday and we know, we hear about him. We we know he's this everlasting God that gave us um, the son, his son to die on the cross for our sins, we're bad, all that kind of stuff. We know all that, but have you experienced it? Have you experienced it? It's quite simple. It's quite simple. We experience God the most when we're doing. We experience him the most when we're doing. And the more you experience him, the more you know him. It's a circle, the circle of life. As you grow in your knowledge of him, you will naturally, and this is where it all works out, when you grow in your knowledge, when you grow in your experiences that grow the knowledge, you will naturally want to show gratitude. You'll naturally become a different person. You'll want to express your praise. You'll want to express worship to him and experience him differently and then keep sharing that thing over and over again. It's just a natural process. So whatever God you want God to be, I am that I I am who I am. Whatever God you need him to be, whether he's your Jehovah, your provider, whether he's your, your Benner or your defender, whether he's Yahweh, the great I am, that's the kicker. Whether he's your Yahweh, he'll be there for you. But there's two other names, and I'll close with this. There's two other names that we know God by. Father and Saviour. All of those work hand in hand to give you an experience you'll never forget. Let's pray. Father, we're just um, pausing at the moment to 
reflect on, reflect on you and the times in our life that we have stepped out and the times in our lives that we have experienced you and whatever we're doing. We don't have to do a huge, amazing stepping out, like going to a foreign country or stuff like that. We can just start here in our own local community and we can just start experiencing you through that. Lord, I ask a special blessing on all the heads bowed and their families here today. And I ask for those that aren't with us today as well, we ask you to bless them in their walk and may they experience you sometime this week. Lord, we thank you for all you do for us day by day. We love you lots and we can't wait to see you. In your name, amen.